0: Uh, this afternoon, welcome to the Bar Association of San Francisco's program on recall elections in the state of California. We are really excited that all of you could join us this afternoon to hear a very dynamic and well informed uh, conversation about recalls in our great state. My name is Yolanda Jackson. I'm the Executive Director and General Counsel of the Bar Association of San Francisco and its Justice and Diversity Center. So some would say that recall elections seem to be happening more frequently now than ever in our in our state. In recent years, since 2018, we have seen, um, and I might be missing a few, but we have seen recall elections in the Sonoma County DA's race, the Los Angeles County's DA's race, the San Francisco County DA's race, the state Governor Newsom's race, um, the Senator Josh Newman race and the San Francisco School Board in San, um, a, a, a year or so ago, and then Judge Persky in San Jose, which many of you I'm sure are familiar with. So I want to start by allowing all of our speakers to um, introduce themselves briefly, and then we will make our way into the questions uh, for our great speakers here. So uh, David, why don't we start with you?
1: Hi, everybody. David Carrillo, Executive Director of the
2: California Constitution Center at Berkeley Law. Uh,
0: Larry, Professor Larry Gersten.
2: Hi, Larry Gersten, uh, Professor Emeritus, San Jose State University, and I'm co-author of uh, two books on both the uh, gubernatorial
0: recall elections uh, in California. Uh, Jamara Hayner.
3: Mara Hainer, hi everyone. Uh, Political consultant and survivor of seven recall campaigns so far, and I would love to not make that
0: eight. Uh, Joshua Newman.
4: Uh, Hi, good morning. Good afternoon. State Senator Josh Newman of the aforementioned Josh Newman recall. I I serve as uh, uh, Senator for the 29th Senate District. I have the distinction of being the only legislator in California history of being recalled and regained his seat. Which gives me a particular perspective on this conversation. Great to be here.
0: Thank you. And Joshua Spibeck, A senior
5: research fellow at the California Constitution Center and the author of Recall Elections from from Alexander Hamilton to Gavin Newsom. And uh, I write the
0: Recall Elections blog for the last 12 years. Okay. Um, So, to our uh, guests, if you have any questions, please enter your questions into the Q&A feature. You will not be able to do that in the chat feature. However, in the chat feature, you will find the materials that have been been provided uh, with this afternoon's program. So again, if you have questions, please use the Q&A feature. Um, Okay. I'm going to go around the screen and ask this very broad question in general. Are you pro-recall elections or against recall elections in the current state of law that it is now, the current rules, the current processes and procedures? So I'm going to start at the top. Jamara, are you pro or con recalls?
3: Uh, I definitely, I think con as they currently are. I think recall elections are a tool. um, And as a democracy, we get to check in on those tools and see if they're in line with our values. And I think from a transparency standpoint and and fairness, one person, one vote. Uh, we're we're getting a little bit far away from that. So I think it's time for us to take another look at it.
0: Okay. Uh Joshua Spivak?
5: Oh, um, though uh, there's definitely changes that could be made, but I, I think that their power has been vastly overstated. They have been a very limited uh, actor in California, despite the recent explosion of recalls on the state level.
0: Okay, Josh Newman. Uh,
4: as you might expect from my intro, I, I'm with Jamara. I, I'm uh, uh, my position is I, I, I think the recall, as it was originally envisioned, uh, has outlived that purpose. It's in need of reform, uh, and in its current state, it's, it is subject to uh, gaming and partic- uh, partisan gamesmanship. Uh, And as a result, I think we should look at some sensible reforms.
0: Okay. Larry?
2: There's too much unanimity here. Uh, But the fact is, I pretty much agree with uh, the panelists. Uh, um, I see a place for the recall um, as a bumper guard of sorts to protect, uh, you know, extreme cases of uh, uh, abusing one's power. But um, but certainly not the way it is right now, where it, uh, I think it's much too easy to, to um, uh, exercise and uh, cause a lot of problems.
0: Okay, and David?
1: Well, I will uh, disrupt the unanimity and be the tribune of the people. Um, I view the recall as a key part of the direct democracy reforms package that Hiram Johnson and his allies enacted in 1911. Uh, it's an important tool to people. Some call it a weapon, and that's not inaccurate. Um, but I would say that the people have been very judicious in their use of it, um, so much so that it's it's fair on the numbers to say that recalls are actually quite rare, even though they might seem that they're happening everywhere all the time now. Um, in the grand scheme of things, that's not exactly true. Um, but that said, uh, being a reasonable person, I agree with my colleagues that there there's always ways to improve tools and prevent gamesmanship. Um, So I do have a couple of reforms that we're probably going to talk about later uh, that I would be in favor of.
0: Great. So the next round of questions, whoever wants to answer first, please go first. So the, uh, the next question is, what exactly are recall elections? What do they look like in California on a local and a state level? And historically, why were these laws created? I think
4: David Carrillo is in a good position to answer this. No, you want to. Go I ahead.
0: really do. I was going to
1: defer to <laughs> Professor Gersten, but fine. Um, so the, the historical justification for the recall, along with the other two direct democracy reforms in 1911, was that the progressives uh, led by Hiram Johnson felt that the state had been taken over by wealthy interests, one in particular, the Southern Pacific Railroad, which basically had the whole legislature in its pocket. Those are all historical facts. And so the progressives felt that returning power to the people and allowing them to directly legislate or to remove corrupt or non-performing legislators. Those, those weapons and tools were the best means of not just returning power to the people, but returning democracy to California. That was the original justification. I will withhold further comment.
0: Okay. Anybody else want to add to that? I think it's pretty good summary.
2: Um, whether the original purpose is still being served, of course, is, Another debate. Yeah, another subject altogether, or at least a separate subject. Um, But yes, that's correct. Uh, uh, The uh, Southern Pacific was one of many uh, of the uh, abusive businesses across the country, and California, along with several other states, particularly from the Midwest toward the West, uh, adopted various versions of uh, direct uh, democracy. And uh, and you've uh, explained it very well as to why it happened here.
0: And so some have said, even though it started with the railroad industry, that is now kind of being taken over and pushed by big technology, Um, either entities or individuals. Is there any truth to that?
2: I I don't know why we would... When you say it's being taken over, the technology... Driven driven by. ...industry has replaced the Southern Pacific Railroad as the bad guys, so to speak. I I think that... uh, uh, it, it's far broader than that in terms of potential, um, uh, you know, forces that, uh, that do a disservice to it. I mean, um, uh, the, do, do a disservice to the legislative process. I mean, we could, we could spend the rest of this time talking about various powers, interest groups, and big businesses. The, the oil industry is a favorite of so many people, this type of thing, that basically... Um, exercise tremendous authority over the, or power, I should say, over the legislature.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it, it's much more fair to ascribe the criticism that you're leveling, Yolanda, against the initiative process. Uh, in the recall context, uh, arguably the political parties uh, have been the biggest players, um, and and you do see a distinct absence of, you know, a big internet corporate interest like Facebook or Lyft or Uber, but you do see them in the in the initiative context.
3: I think one of, the biggest, I'm sorry, say one of the biggest, most frequent uh, questions, misconceptions that I've heard in the past few years on recalls is uh, reminding people that they don't actually function like a normal election in terms of a candidate. It actually falls under the ballot measure rules generally for the state of California in terms of transparency and other things. So I think a lot of the concerns that people generally express with propositions, whatever side, you can pour in a bunch of money and something can happen. um, Those are the rules that we play by with recalls in the state of California, not uh, the usual candidate committee rules.
4: And let, let me add i think it's important to', to worth considering the sort of the base mechanics is the the initial step in uh generating a recall is the signature gathering process uh and so there is a statutory uh threshold uh that that recall proponents have to reach uh in order to get the question on the ballot and then the question on the ballot becomes unlike other elections it's a two-part question you know the first part is should uh, official a be recalled from office the second is if uh, officially recall recalled. You know, with whom uh, would you replace him or her? Uh, and you know, my argument, which you'll hear, is it's the presence of that second question which has created a whole bunch of partisan mischief, if you will.
5: On the local <laughs> level, just um, very few of them are by tech companies or anything like that. They are really policy based and not not at all partisan, as most part of most elected, most local jurisdictions. Jurisdictions have very little partisan issues. They're generally one party or another. So uh, while you may say differently about, say, the uh, DA, the San, the San Francisco DA, uh, that there was a lot of money given by some tech backers, but generally they are very local issue
2: focused. And, and I'm glad you raised the San Francisco DA because if, if I have that correct, uh, unlike the state of California uh, recall where there is that two-part uh, process within with, the case of the DA. The mayor went ahead, and yeah, had that's the because power San Francisco is to... a charter city, right? So she had the power in this case to go ahead and appoint an, an interim DA. So, so it, we need to, I guess, be aware of some of the differences. Although I have to tell you, my interest primarily is at the state level. Yeah, you're,
1: you're right. There's there's three categories we should be looking at here, and and they don't exactly overlap. One is statewide official recalls, which are largely defined procedurally by the state constitution. Then there's general law city procedures for recalls, which are set by statute according to the legislature. And then there's charter cities, which have the option of doing a recall, and they can create whatever procedures they want. Okay.
0: So, um, Josh Bevac, um. Can you give us a quick overview of how California's recall rules and laws compare to other states where we think they might be doing it a little differently or a little better?
5: Well, there's a lot of variation in the recall, and I should say, because a lot of people seem to not get this, the recall is not a U.S. uh, only device. It's all over the world. Mexico's president faced a recall this year. Taiwan has been very active in recalls. They call it the appendectomy project there. Um, but the in California, we have this one-day, two-step process where it's vote on the official, uh, vote yes, no, and then vote for replacement. Then the candidate cannot vote and run in the replacement. In many states, there is no replacement. There is an appointment. Some places, there is a, um, a snap election. So you, we saw that in Wisconsin where it was just a new election. Uh, in some places... There is a two day process where it's recall and then days later, then months later, a replacement race. And in other places, that candidate could run in the replacement race and sometimes they could win that. We saw that in Massachusetts a few years ago Fall River, the candidate ran, the mayor ran and won, uh, even though he was recalled in that same race.
0: Okay. So, why do we have these laws? Why do they exist? And what is their intended purpose from the beginning of time? And what do you think their intended purpose is now?
1: Well, I can't speak to the beginning of time, but uh, the, the progressive ideals that we talked about a minute ago, those, those were the, the genesis and the rationale behind the recall that uh, with, at the time, members of the legislature in the pocket of the Southern Pacific Railroad, s- simply voting for people wasn't enough. There had to be an opportunity or an option to to remove people before their term was ended for for whatever reason that they proved to be unsatisfactory to the voters. Um and that you know that basic reason still applies here today because um because California is not what, what you call a Malfeasance state. There's no requirement for proving that a crime was committed or you know that there was a felony indictment or something like that. So it really makes California's recall a policy-based decision uh, on the part of the voters, you know. So Chase is a pretty good example. Um the voters decided that they didn't like his policies and they voted him out.
0: So I understand, though, that, again, in, in the origination, part of the reason may have been to get rid of corrupt politicians. Right. That threshold, where does that exist in terms of measuring that before someone can even be challenged in in that way and, and a recall being filed against them? So Right. So it doesn't have
1: to be corruption. That's, that's one reason that the vote, you know, so if somebody gets caught, you know, taking a bag of money from Facebook or the Southern Pacific Railroad, then, you know, fine, that's kind of an obvious example. But the recall was never intended to require that, you know, on our prep call, Senator Newman basically described it as bad faith. And that's something that's subjective in the minds of the voters. And and you learn what the voters think when they go to the ballot box. They either keep you or they don't. And if they don't keep you, that means they found that you acted in bad faith.
2: If you, if you go back and look at the recall election of Gavin Newsom just a little bit more than a year ago, the folks uh, initiating the process and pushing it through to the best of their ability, of course, it failed, had, a, I don't know, a dozen or so reasons. You know, they didn't like the taxes. They didn't like the K-12 education. Uh, COVID restrictions. You know, they, they didn't like, they had like a million different things. But not one of those um, um, reasons had to do with any kind of corruption right. by Newsom. I mean, we could say a lot of things about Gavin Newsom, uh, but there was no allegation of corruption or breaking any laws. There was just the allegations that his policies were what some of these people uh, preferred.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's why it's an important point to make you the to. Yeah, so it's important. You know, corruption is part of it. It was part of the original intent of the genesis, but it was never intended to be a requirement. It it wasn't then, and it's not now.
4: And and, and it wasn't. And, and it's important to remember the the validation step is six ago, and, and and the the expectation by the by the framers was that you know if a, if a politician elected an official uh, uh, manifested bad faith, uh, then the proof of the need for this was the securing of that threshold. Uh, what we saw in Governor Newsom's recall was. Uh, because of the pandemic, a judge allowed for the extension of the time limit, they were able to secure sufficient number of votes to qualify the recall without ever really meeting any standard from malfeasance, corruption, bad faith.
5: Um, I, corruption was not, really it was, it was mentioned, but it was not necessarily the focus in the debate. It was corruption in this general sense. And that's what I don't like about that official. And if you go back to 1903, when L.A. adopted it, You'll see this. It wasn't just, hey, they knew about the limitation. They could have limited it. Another factor that is not necessarily at play in California is that in many cases, we've increased the timeframe of elected officials' terms. And you actually see this directly in 1992 in Rhode Island, where they moved from a two-year term to a four-year term for governor. And at the same time, they adopted a recall statute to kind of give the voters an out. So it used to be terms were all over the place and sometimes they were much shorter. In fact, they were almost always much shorter in earlier history. And so the recall was part of, hey, look, if we're going to give them a, time, a more time in office, we should give the voters some way to kick them out early.
2: But of course, in California, we have not only the strictest recall from my, from my study of, of any state at the state level, the strictest, the, 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 we also have the strictest term limit law. So if you think about it, we're really tying a lot of hands here. You know, very strict ter- term limits law. You cannot run again once you're out. Then done. Uh, unlike most states with term limits, and 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 as I said, the, the, the toughest one in terms of of uh, making it impossible uh, for the governor uh, to run again uh, uh, as part of the, the B part, if you will, uh, or or. Or any other way, like the lieutenant governor stepping in, or, or or several other systems. So it's it's a strange combination here.
0: Okay. So Jamara, you've represented several candidates facing recall. What do you think about this threshold of it being so low in terms of what it what you need to do to put somebody in the recall?
3: And I think it. Um In an ideal world, I think that's great. Um, I think where we are currently, um, unfortunately, and apologies to any other political consultants on this Zoom, politics is also a business, it's an industry, and this has become kind of a cottage industry. Um, So this now allows um, for whoever to say, let's start a recall. And the first thing a campaign manager or political consultant is going to say is, what are the limits? How much money can we make? And how much money can we spend? And the answer is unlimited. So I would just say from a democracy perspective, when you're putting a lot of faith in political consultants, God help us. Um, So there's sort of unlimited there. It can be as much as you want, come from, from wherever which is probably on its face if you know campaign finance and things are something you're generally concerned about, and then the fact that we don't really have many disclosure requirements for this in the context of Citizens United and other things that lots of us care about as well, I think it's troubling. right? So for me, it's um, threshold wherever it is. I really care about that transparency and those other guardrails that we have in most other parts of our elections or should. And um, whether it's propositions or other things where we don't have them, I think a lot of Californians get concerned, um, whether it's gambling industry, dialysis, whatever it is, those are really great ways to um, spend absurd and just absolutely obscene amount of money, it's not disclosed where it comes from. And what's different here also is you get to give it directly to a candidate committee unlike any other normal candidate election where you say $10 million, you've got to give it to an IE or a super PAC. Here you can say, your honor, here's $10 million, I want to save your career um, just from a balance of power perspective and transparency, I think that's very troubling.
0: And it's, um, just to be clear, it's unlimited fundraising, both for those behind the recall and those yeah. defending themselves against a recall. 100%. Right. Okay. So how many, and I'm going to look to you, David, I think you have these numbers. How many recall elections have we had in California since these laws were enacted? I
1: have it. Um, this is from, uh, the article, uh, final production version that, uh, we submitted as part of the materials. Um, So all California statewide recalls from 1911 to 2021, uh, 179 recall petitions against state officials, only 11 qualified, which is 6% of the filed. Six succeeded at the ballot, which is 55-ish percent of qualified. So you got five recalled legislators, one recalled governors. Uh, The other 173 petitions either failed to qualify or rejected at the ballot, which is an overall 96.6%. Failure rate. That's for statewide. For California local recalls, we only have the most recent 10 years worth of data, um, far more just in the last 10 years compared with the century worth of 179 at the state level. So just in the last 10 years, California had saw 555 completed local recall drives, 139 of those petitions qualified, which is 25% of filed, 86 of them succeeded at the ballot, which is about 62% of qualified. Uh, the 469 petitions that either failed to qualify or lost at the ballot is about an 85% failure rate overall.
0: And okay, Thank you. So I think we touched upon this a little bit, but I'm going to ask the question more pointedly um, for all of you to answer. What are some of the pros or the positives um, of recall elections? Well, I mean, if you okay,
3: go, ahead,
0: go ahead,
3: go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, um, I, I think a positive can be um that if we're if we're sticking with it, I think, and can evolve in the right way. Um, it really rewards the ground game of talking to every single one of your neighbors knocking on the doors of the part of democracy that we that we like. Um, if you've got a strong field game um, as opposed to just relying on TV commercials, that's how you can try to even the field. So for folks who believe in that sort of organizing, um, like anything else in an election, I think that part's fine.
0: Hey Larry? Uh,
2: it, look, it is it, there. There is benefit to um, removing somebody from office uh, who really doesn't belong there because of a behavior that people believe is is not right is uh, is Ill, it, even if not illegal, unethical. I mean, there's a reason for the recall. I don't I don't quibble with that. If if it's held to a, a high bar, I guess. Uh, and like a lot of things about direct, direct democracy is good when people really are involved beyond pushing the lever or beyond filling out the ballot you know when they really are aware of what's going on and to the extent that it that it that it heightens awareness that's another good thing about it i mean there's some good things about it but i think most of us believe that uh, that the good right now um is is Im- impacted adversely i think by Some of the other things that perhaps we'll talk about later on.
1: Can I go? Yes. I would look at it in reverse. You'd be pissed if you didn't have it in the following three circumstances. Number one, while Trump was president, I bet a lot of people would have been really happy if they could have launched a recall drive against him. Here in California, Judge Persky, people were pissed at him. And that was the classic grassroots community organized. It was a woman who's a professor at Stanford. Um, she just rallied the troops and and led a barn burning operation against that guy, leaving aside the issue of whether what he did was right or wrong. People were pissed. They wanted him out. They made that happen. Chase of kind of the same thing. One of the commenters pointed out in the questions that um that some wealthy people donated most of the money to to do the signature drive. Fine, fair. That doesn't change the fact that over 50% of of San Franciscans voted to eject him. That to me is conclusive evidence that they were mad, that they wanted him out. And I think all these instances people would have been even angrier if they had no ability to make their opinions felt at the ballot box and were just forced to ride it out until the end of the term.
2: I, I got to was- go. I got to go with you on this one. I got to go with you on this one. The three the three examples you gave OK, in two of those cases, to the best of my knowledge, there were no breakages or violations of the law whatsoever. People didn't like the way they were carrying out their responsibilities. OK, right. to me, that's not a, enough of a reason because I don't like the way a person is doing. So we have elections for that scheduled elections. Uh, and as far as Trump goes, well, OK, there may in fact be some things that he's done that are illegal. But once again, you know, and I'm and, and not talking about a Trump fan here, believe me. Uh, until these things are, are, are demonstrably proven, even then I think we have to hold back. So I mean, this idea of of uh, it to me it it, it borders on whim, whimsical. Uh, uh, you know, elections are scheduled so that people can can observe somebody over a period of time to see how that person has performed, either in the office or or how they think somebody else might 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 uh, perform better, and then we and then we vote. But but to just sort of like make it as easy. And for that for no reason other than whim, I, I think it's it not so really undermines the democratic process. It's it's not so simple,
5: otherwise we'd be having them all the time. In fact, we're having very few of them, simply because it is not so simple to do it, even if we feel that the numbers are low. One of the big arguments here is the amount of voters who support recalls, not not by based on polls, because the polls don't really mean too much. When the voters get a chance to vote for recalls, they adopt them overwhelmingly. In California, when they in 1911, it was over 70. It was like 75 percent. New Jersey adopted in 1993, 75 percent. Minnesota had a uh, in 1990, uh, 1996. They adopted it with this uh, Malfeasance Standard. 88 percent voted for it on election day. They had a, the recall of Boudin. Uh, they also had a uh, ballot measure that looked to really kill the recall. It was kind of very strangely written, but it would have effectively destroyed the recall in San Francisco. More people voted to, against that ballot measure than voted against Boudin. So even the people who supported, who were in favor of Boudin did not
0: want to remove that power. So can I ask one clarifying question about um, the Boudin race? Uh, David, I think you said 75% of the voters um, voted to recall him, but was No, it I, was, I didn't say that. What did you say? It was more 50%. than 50%. I mean, he lost. Okay. so I, it, I don't remember what his exact, exact percentage it was. 55, was but he lost. 55. 55. Okay. Was there only 20% of the voter base or the voting population that actually voted in that election? Was it, I don't it know. low? Yeah, I think it was extremely low. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that. And that was a question somebody had in the audience. The other question.
1: If, if people loved him, why didn't they come out and, and vote against the recall?
0: Good question. But sometimes I, I do see that question,
5: but sometimes turnout is low, sometimes it's high. So in the Davis recall, turnout was much higher than in his election in 2002. In 2002. 2003 saw a boost. Same thing with Scott Walker in Wisconsin in nineteen twelve and 2012 versus when he was elected in 2010. So recalls are not necessarily just this low turnout race. It could be a high turnout, very high turnout
2: rates. Yeah, you're right. And, and in the Davis recall, people were angry, really angry, uh, for a number of things that had happened. Uh, not just one thing with Ray Davis, we could line up a bunch. And uh, and, and and out of that anger, uh, they did vote in, in higher numbers than, than we normally expect in a recall election. Yeah, and, and I think what we saw this time with Newsom is more of what we see in California usually for that kind of a thing.
0: So another question from the audience. Is it naive at best to assume and assert here that money does not have an oversized impact on an election? The six million dollars against Boudin was not local money. Anybody have a response to that? What election?
5: election? Every election money has an outsized uh, impact. Just let
4: let me let me actually see if I can illustrate it with my own experience. Uh, So I was elected to the state Senate in 2016. I, I was targeted for recall on the basis of a vote that I made in 2017 is one of 81 legislators to raise California's gas tax. Um, and because uh, I had won a seat that had been held by Republicans for four years and I'd won the most closely contested election uh, in the past cycle, I, I was the one member targeted for recall over that vote uh, that in which not only two thirds majority of both houses voted, but it was 26 Democrats, one Republican. And yet the narrative was that I had somehow betrayed the public's faith uh, and was therefore deserving of being recalled from office. The money for my recall came from all over the state. Uh, I had obviously committed, you know, no offense other than voting, same as 80, 80 other legislators. Um, and that money paid for, uh, to, you know, gathering the signatures, uh, and then it got it to the ballot. And, and I think to the earlier question, um, it was a low turnout primary vote in which the the recall uh, ballot actually took place. And, and fewer people actually voted for my recall uh, than... Uh, or actually, rather, more people voted for me in 2016 than participated in total uh, for the recall, uh, and and that clearly that that runs counter uh, to the intent of the framers, which is to to have a basis uh, to remove a, you know a, a corrupt, malfeasance, or otherwise bad faith elected official. Yeah, you you raise
1: an important point, which is related to a point that was made earlier about the fact that in, in general laws about. Regular elections don't apply to recalls. They're always one-offs. They're always special elections. There's no, you know, there's basically no campaign reporting. There's no contribution limits. All all of these things could be fixed along with the replacement candidate procedure by statute. So the legislature can make campaign contribution limits apply to recalls. They can make the independent candidate procedure apply to replacement candidates. So they have to get 1% of the voters in the state, which is about 221,000 people. All of this can be fixed by statute.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's a question. It's We're not so much talking about whether money should be in politics. That's a fact of life. Um, you just you play the game like fouls and basketball or soccer or something like that. Right. I think it's a question of the voters deserving to know where is the money coming from and how much are you able to take? I think those are um, reforms that need be made. And I I hope that no one's arguing against that.
1: No, I'm 100 percent in favor of that. And, and I'm especially in favor of it because it's so easy because the legislature can do it by statute.
4: Was there David? David, easy is is sort of a relative term,
1: right? (laughs) Easier than amending the Constitution.
4: So, for example.
0: Yeah, we're going to get to that question.
1: (laughs) Comparatively easy.
0: So another question from the the audience is, um, are recalls biased against the sitting official? Isn't it isn't enthusiasm to vote outside of the scheduled elections greater for people who oppose the elected than for those who support the status quo?
4: Let let me start and other folks will have stuff to add. So we made a change legislatively uh, recently to allow for the partisan designation of the targeted official to be included on that line of the ballot. But previously, uh, that was not the case. So what you had was, you know, an elected official, uh, you you know, and the truth is most people don't know uh, who represents them, give or take 10% of voters can answer the question unprompted, like who, who represents you at a particular level. And so the, I, I think there was sort of an implicit bias that came into play if, if you had two questions. One is, you know, should, should Tom Tompkins be, be removed from office? Somebody coming to the ballot today might think, like, well, I don't know Tom Tompkins, but he must have done something bad. Uh, and then beneath Tom, you know, are, are six candidates, you know, three with D's, three with R's. And so that, that voter can think like, well, what the hell? Uh, I don't know what Tom, who Tom is, but I get to choose somebody from my party Uh, why not? Right. Why not? So, so, you know, we, we changed that, but I I still think there is a bit of a bias uh, against the incumbent once it gets to the ballot to Josh Spiebeck's point. Uh, Once recalls get to the ballot, they are more likely to succeed than, you know, the broader
1: question of qualifying that one in the first A little bit, we calculated at 55%. The,
5: the, um, The one stat that really kind of blew my mind was that I did expect exactly what you were saying because some recalls are on special election days and some recalls are on general election days or primary days. If they can tie it to those, they do. Uh, You would have thought that the special elections were vastly more likely to succeed. In fact, they're slightly less likely to succeed nationwide. So you're more likely to survive a recall if it's a special election than a general election. It it appears over the 12 years that I've been looking at it. So it's not that big of a, a difference. It's really, do we dislike this person or not? Um, well, but,
4: but Josh, I mean, you have to also include there's interesting other kind of questions of causation. In, in a special election, that's the one thing. Everybody comes to that thing with interest in that one thing. In and in a general election, you come to the ballot for lots of reasons. Uh and, and might not be have any familiarity at all with the with the person who was subject to a recall. So it's it's hard really to to discern kind of what's driving that.
5: But right, well, actually, I could cite this really great stat. In 2008, the Speaker of the Assembly of Michigan faced a recall. And this is against my argument, but I'll I'll tell it to you anyway. Please proceed. Uh, Please. The Speaker of the Assembly in Michigan faces a recall, Andy Dillon, and he on that same, he's facing the recall on the same ballot as, as he's facing re-election, uh, on the general election day. So it's the highest turnout day possible of the presidential election. He wins both overwhelmingly. But 2,000 voters, but the the difference, there's a huge difference in turnout between the first vote, his election, and his recall. All the people, almost everybody who, faced, who uh, voted for him to be recalled, also, almost everybody who voted against him in the general election also voted for the recall. There was a 2,000 vote drop off between his general election and the recall. So it was further down the ballot. And yeah, as, as you're saying, they did ignore it. They did leave it. And the people who were focused did think so. Let's let's do both, even though it was only going to be recalled for three months. That's what would have happened. Um, but generally, it's, it's surprising that uh, special elections do not seem to have that impact.
3: I think the biggest impact of special elections versus not is actually on a county's general budget. Um, and I think that is one thing that some folks are concerned about. These election costs are borne by the general fund of whichever county they happen in as frequently as they happen. Whenever that is, there's no extra rainy day fund for a recall elections, So the gubernatorial cost San Francisco eight-ish million dollars, a lot more for bigger counties. Um, but especially for smaller counties that just don't have the general funds lying around because they have forest fires and everything else they need to um, panic about. Um, that's that's just one question about consolidation. It isn't really about turnout. It's about how much money does your county have lying around.
0: So that takes me to my next question, Jamara. Um, what are some of the cons to recall elections? And we've heard the cost. We've heard the unlimited amount of money that can be thrown into these races. Um, What do you guys say? How would you define some of the negatives of recall elections in California?
3: I would say that recall, and I'm a little bit of a broken record here, but I think recall elections are the least transparent type of election I can think of right now beyond, I don't even know what, American Idol or something like that. Um, But there's uh, just not a ton of transparency. And again, as we start to see them more frequently here, yes, and I appreciate the longer term statistics, but when we look at lots of things going on, and much like a business, there is a recall cash grab happening right now. So there's no reason not to expect it to happen more often, all the more reason to put some guardrails on politicians, but also political consultants.
2: So you're, you're saying that they're the least, they're right, not, they're,
3: because, of, because of the money issue, because correct, the money exactly.
2: can come from anywhere
4: where it's coming from, anything else? I have. It. Okay. Sorry. Exactly. Well, let, let me add something, which which sort of we touched on it, but I think it's important. So, so I think, Josh, you mentioned the number of recall petitions that don't succeed, that don't qualify. Uh, I I would argue it, that step actually probably has a more deleterious effect uh, than most people realize. So, a, a local elected official laboring under the threat. Of a recall, like in the face of an attempted recall, um, it has, you know, a real challenge in you know succeeding as a public servant. And even if they don't succeed, the ease with which uh, recalls are started, uh, the noise they generate, the partisan kind of passions they they unleash uh, have clearly, especially at the local level, uh, have had a massively negative effect in the last ten years.
5: Couldn't, I can't really disagree there that it may, in fact, that is one part of the goal, hopefully, for the recall proponents, that somebody resigns. Um, I would say the negative is, you know, one of the things that Jamara mentioned, I kind of thought that uh, campaign consultants would try to do more recalls exactly for that to make money. <laughs> no, I did think that and I wrote an article in New York saying that's what they would do. They shouldn't adopt it because that's what would happen. But uh, I think there is the negative of maybe, you know, elected officials being scared, being frightened, not not taking the tough steps that they should take. I think that argument is always there. Um, the, the recall, the real basis for the recall, the, the, the goal here uh, is this philosophical argument between what is an elected official? Is it somebody who's appointed as a trustee who we're electing because of their greater knowledge, their greater wisdom? Or is it somebody who we're using as a representative who's there to espouse our positions and vote the way we want to? And the recall is very much that thumb on the scale of the representative model. Uh, so, you know, if you prefer that trustee model, and many people did, Alexander Hamilton was the huge proponent of it, and that's why he opposed recalls back in the Constitutional Convention days. Uh, if you're really a fan of that, then yes, the recall... Uh, is a is a big negative and uh you know there is there are plenty of good arguments to be made that says well that would be a better situation if we had a more trusty model
1: ilana can I go yes uh, I will I would echo jamara's comments about money and that's where I would focus my reform efforts if I were king of California um, in three parts one is um I would increase the signature requirement it's a little bit too easy to qualify in, in the sense that it's a little bit Uh, too cheap to qualify them. I would make people spend a little more money, money standing in for seriousness and support in this context. I'd also make it uh, harder to become a replacement candidate by having the legislature impose the independent candidate qualifying procedure. Again, it would cost more money, again, showing seriousness and support. Um, And I'm also troubled by the fact that there's no contribution limits and no reporting. Uh, Again, if I were king, I would suggest that the legislature impose the regular requirements for all races on, on recalls.
4: So I, I, I have to. I will agree with David, and in, in, in my own experience, I remember as my recall got started. I, I think one of uh, sort of the Democratic Caucus leadership post came to me and said, "Hey, I've got bad news and good news. The bad news is this recall is going to qualify. The good news is you can raise as much money as you want to fight it." <laughs> uh, and and I, I still don't know why that was good news. Uh, and it's certainly not good for the for the process.
0: So, Professor Gersten, I think. In our lot, in our call, um, when we talked about the signature threshold, you were the one who said that there's a risk to lowering that. And I hope I have the right person who who weighed in saying, yes, we should increase the number of signatures needed in order to get the initiative on the ballot, but there one of you thought there was a risk to doing that.
2: No, actually, I believe it should be a higher, but it's one of you, and I don't know who it is, I thought pretty much shot down my own argument. It was the
4: legislator. Yeah. Uh, and and unfortunately, I think that's real. Uh, very unlikely that that the you know the legislature will do this uh, one because it's hard work, but but more importantly, I think it'll be received uh, as a you know, if it's a ballot proposition by voters as self-serving uh, and is unlikely to succeed for that reason.
1: but senator so, doesn't doesn't that apply to basically anything that the legislature puts on the ballot? Any anybody who wants to attack a reform to the recall that comes from the legislature, their first argument is going to be that it's self-serving which will be true or not true to greater or lesser extents. But isn't that the first response you'd get?
4: Yeah, Yeah. yeah, I I guess, David, it depends on how it resonates, right? And so, you know, so I, I, you know, my proposal, I have a constitutional amendment that I'll reintroduce this year. It is to, as we've touched on earlier, is to eliminate that second question, right? Restore, in my view, the recall to, you know, a matter of integrity, ethics, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so morality. Uh, But but the other reforms that uh, many of which are, I I think, you know, so well considered um, are really hard, especially if you bundle them together, uh, because it creates kind of more surface area for folks to kind of shoot at uh, and more doubt uh, as a result in the minds of voters as to whether or not this is good for me or good for them, them being, you know, the political class.
2: Can I go to Josh Newman's last point for a second? you said the constitutional amendment you're proposing would eliminate the second question. No argument with that. But my question is, okay, now the governor or somebody else is removed, what do we do? Automatic replacement. So,
4: so you you apply the same replacement processes that you would for other scenarios, right? So if, yeah. if the governor's removed, no different than if the governor died, right? The lieutenant governor would send to, to the office. Uh, if a constitutional officer is removed, no different than if a constitutional officer moves on to another position. The governor appoints to the next regular scheduled election. For a legislator, no different than if I, as a legislator, resigned or got you know one another election. I that would wait for a, a, a special election at the next possible opportunity. In so doing, uh, I think you removed some of the incentive uh, to to instigate a recall, right? To to, to gin up uh, you know a, a new election that would get you a different result than the, the most recent election
2: let's follow up so then if i understand you correctly then the lieutenant governor would go ahead and be governor or acting governor whatever the title he want to give uh, until the next election correct well, or, or, or if in
4: the case of the governor, it would be if it's within the first two years, you'd have a special election at, at year two. If it's in the second, you know, second half of their term, it'd be the next regular scheduled election. Now, yeah. the argument against that is like, what if we had a lieutenant governor of a different party? You know, what, what if they use this as an opportunity? You know, that is possible. It's also very unlikely in California. You're going to have it in the near future, a lieutenant governor of a different party. But that that takes so much work. Um, that that it seems more likely that that lieutenant for governor is going to invest in simply running for governor at the next
2: opportunity. Well, we've had governors content. of 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 different party twice that I can recall in the last thirty or forty years. We have had it for twenty straight that, years. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't bother me uh, simply because uh, I, I, I'm I'm so much an institutionalist. I mean that's that's one of the problems I operate with. And so
4: Larry, that doesn't bother me either. That's simply yeah. the argument against.
2: Yeah.
5: Oh, well, just um, a few different points. First of all, that model is used in many states. Uh, and one of the things we haven't seen is that that drags down recalls. So Oregon has that. Uh, and they have basically, even though the state is a fraction the size, the same amount of recall elections as California on the local level. And they tried to recall the governor because there was a possibility that the, the replacement, that was very unclear, would have been a Republican but it's not even clear that it would have been, but they really made serious efforts there and they almost got to the ballot. Josh, uh, wasn't the there another state is, where,
1: where people just gathered an extra few hundred thousand signatures to also qualify a recall against the Lieutenant Governor? Mm-hmm.
5: 900,000 signatures. They said, okay, we well, are recalling Scott Walker. Why don't we call his Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Cleefish oh, just in case the courts adopt the law that way and say the Lieutenant Governor should be in office. Um, so it's, it's not clear that that would really help, but in fact, it could be like, oh well, why don't we just keep recalling people? Why don't we get rid of all of those people at once? Let's take that. Let's take that approach. I, I don't see why they wouldn't.
1: Yeah, because it's uh, free to course, add people to the petition. You can put as many people on the petition as you want.
4: Well, and, and, and David made a point earlier. I think it's important that there's three different classes of. You know sort of elected official can't get recalled and there's different rules that pertain to each so what, I, what i'm talking about right now is, is state level right legislator and above a, at the local level you know, the legislature for governing law cities uh we can change those things statutorily uh and easy enough to do we, we made some changes last year that i think made good sense uh but as far as once you get to legislators uh constitutional officials the governor um you, you know you're looking at a ballot proposition. So. You know, keep it simple uh, and make it understandable and, and compelling uh, to to the voters in order to, to secure their assent to do that.
0: So have any of you, do you have a good example of when you think the recall of election process was abused? And I'm using. Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. guy, guys, Newman was let, let with a less
4: obvious example. Go
0: <laughs> and tell us what how you define abused when you give your example. But where you uh, thought it was really just. The
4: okay, story. I mean, if you want, if you want, real quickly, right? So you know, so again, you know, elected, fair and square, 2016 close election, so close it took three weeks to de- to determine the winner. Uh, April of 2017 I you know along with 80 other people cast a vote you know not uncontroversial but no different than uh 80 other people. I was the only member of the legislature target for recall the only one uh, and that was precisely because as the proponents uh, articulated at the time that I was I was perceived as so-called weak gazelle uh you know the the, the you know Orange County has kind of a stereotype of uh conservatism. it's hard for them to believe that I, I'd won this election. And so the idea was let's go break the Democratic supermajority by by you know sort of aggregating enough support uh, and then going and 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 sort of leveraging this constitutional provision to get rid of a Democrat in in Red Orange County. I I would argue to my you know dying days that was an abuse of the process.
0: Anybody else
5: have a? And, you know Senator Newman. There was also Senator Denham in 2008. Both of them were recalls over the uh, Democrats having a two-thirds majority. So there's there's a good claim for that. And if you look all the way back to Senator e, to, to Senator E.E. E. Grant in 1914, it was similarly this political dynamic, a very odd one. And the person who replaced him was the candidate he beat, Eddie Wolf. Uh, there was a, a very strange episode, and then there were no recalls for a long time. I think the Senate, uh, the Judge Persky one, is certainly one to consider. You know, it's it's very hard to say should judges be elected and then should they face the recall? What will happen? So I think you have a really good case for um, that. Was that was really the big discussion when you were adopting the recall in nineteen in the nineteen ten legislature? It was a major topic in the nineteen twelve election, a presidential election. So uh, judicial recall of judges is a Kind of a very touchy and complicated subject that we kind of ignore.
3: I would just say, down here in LA, our city council districts are, you know, quarter million people. So they kind of function as counties a little bit in terms of size. Um, we had an elected official city council member who beat a second recall within the same cycle of p- deciding whether or not to run for re-election. So you would have had a recall. He would have been on the ballot for re-election and then potentially a runoff for both within like eight months. and that just doesn't make any sense. So I think it's a, if it's a question of can you wait five more minutes and vote for someone at the ballot when it's literally a couple months away? I think that's a pretty common sense change that can be made.
2: I think um. Yolanda, I'm I'm struggling with your word abuse. Um, I mean, from my own definition, I guess I I would say the recall system with the new the recall effort with the Newsom recall, and again, this has nothing to do with my opinion about Newsom, was an abuse to the extent that there were, from the way I see it, there were no laws broken, there were no ethics. Issues uh, in the way, uh, if we use it that way, and it, likewise in the, in the in the in the Davis case, there I think there was uh, certainly the question of some abuse uh, in his unwillingness for one. Of, one of the problems with the Davis thing was that we suddenly had this massive budget shortfall of thirty-five or forty billion dollars back in the day. Mind you, we're talking two thousand two, uh, and uh, that almost all of that had been kept secret. Uh, didn't come out, okay. Well, to me, that's an abuse, okay. That that's an abuse. So I can understand why, why that moved forward, and I would say that there's some legitimacy to that. But 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 again, I think the, the tough word is 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 abuse. Well,
4: so let's you know, Yolanda. I think what we're talking about is exploitation, right? And and so um, you know, using my, my my case example, you know, that was they were exploiting a constitutional provision for reasons that were never intended by the framers you know that everybody I think would agree that there's something off about that um and certainly in 1911 it, you know it was never thought like oh you might have like a supermajority uh so you know let's let's go ahead and you know follow these prescribed steps it was about something much you know larger more profound than that at least that was what was intended
1: that my response would be similar. I, I think the one area where recalls trouble me is when they're deployed as um, partisan tactical weapons by the political parties themselves. You know, so the examples that Senator Newman gave and Josh gave about, you know, a couple of people switched flags and that changed the speaker of the assembly or changed legislative supermajority control. Like those, you know, that that to me takes it out of the realm of. The, the people are angry, and, and it's much more partisan, tactical, political party warfare. And, and I, I think that's not exactly what the recall was designed for.
0: Okay. Quick reminder, anybody who has questions, please feel free to drop those in the Q&A. So my next question is, do any of you have examples of when you thought it worked exactly the way it was meant to work or that it was successful or a good use of the process?
5: <laughs> what about kicking kicking the uh, the KKK out of Anaheim? That may be one that we consider a good use of the uh, of the recall process. Uh, that was in 1922. I can tell you nationally, the the recall's finest hour was that it solved the Little Rock School Board in uh, 59. Uh, you know, we think of 57 as the end of it, but 59 was the one. And I'm going to disagree with David and with others. I think the recalls of Doris Allen and Paul Horsher were actually exactly what you would want the recall used for. Those two uh, officials switched their vote from Republican to Democrat or Independent and allowed Willie Brown to remain Speaker after the Republicans won a majority of the vote in the legislature. So I, I would say that's sort of a first-order political betrayal. If you're the voters, you're voting for that party. You're voting for the candidate, yes, but you're also voting for that candidate to support a party. And there's no vote more important than that first vote in the legislature. Who is going to be in control? Who's going to be the speaker? Who's going to have control of the committees? So if that official switches that vote uh, and, and basically deprives your your major vote, the reason you voted for them. If that person had ran as a Democrat, they probably would have lost, as we saw. That's a reason to vote that person to at least have the voters get another shot at that person, to have a, a debate on whether that person survived or not.
4: So I, I'll agree with I'll agree with Justy back right there. I'll also say I I don't live in San Francisco, so I didn't have a position on that recall. But I think you know, there's clearly a sentiment. Uh, in San Francisco that the Chesapeake Bodine recall was was justified, that it was the right result.
2: Well, there was sentiment was justified because uh, because they got the required signatures uh, to move forward. But you talk about big money and clearly big money was put into that uh, the, the removal side uh, that certainly tilted uh, tilted the odds. Um, but but I I. Uh, I again, I, I think that's a to my own values. That and again <clears throat> I have no I have no horse in that race but other than the fact that I think that it's I I have problems when you recall someone because you don't like what they've been doing even though what they've been doing is perfectly within the law. he had an approach to da's office he had an approach he was elected with that approach he said elect me and this is what I'm going to do and you know what he got elected and that's what he did but, and, but and, as as with I, I think with the great
4: davis, deficit, you know, all of a sudden, I, I, I think there's a there's a larger context, Larry, which was the perception was that crime is exploding uh, in San Francisco. And, 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 and again, the sense was that, you know, they had a DA that wasn't attentive to that and was, in fact, undermining, you know, sort of, the, you know, the public's will there. And it's, it's, so that as you talk to people in the aftermath, you, you know, the anecdotally, there's you know, a lot of people said the right result, uh, you know, was, you know, happened. Um, you're not wrong. I mean, he, he didn't commit a crime, but but in, in the context of the perception of crime and quality of living in
1: San Francisco, it, it makes sense. I have one. Senator Marshall Black recalled in 1913 for actual malfeasance in office. He was indicted, pleaded guilty, and sentenced to 10 years in prison for embezzling bank funds. Okay. okay. That works. Fair. That works. Fair. Yeah, that, that works.
3: I'll throw one. I'll throw one. I'm not sure I agree with it. Jury's still out. But as most folks know, um, LA is in political free fall right now. Our city hall is a complete mess. Um, some some folks have resigned from city council. Others um, have not and possibly will not. And there's no other mechanism to deal with. And we're mm-hmm. maybe more in a 25th amendment territory is how most folks might feel if they're in that case, discussing tampering with a citizen's redistricting process on tape. And there's literally no other tool. So um, you're seeing the citizen effort in East Los Angeles right now dealing with that. I'm not sure of my opinion just yet. Um, But I think that we have a very limited number of tools, and they're all very blunt, and they're all imperfect. Um, So I do think looking at this reform as we're talking about today is needed.
0: Okay, so if you all, David kind of alluded to this a minute ago, but if you all had full power and control to change the recall election laws in California to improve the purpose and the outcomes, how would you fix it?
4: I, I will start. I mean, you know, because as, as a legislator, I, I have some agency here. Um, you know, again, I, I have a, a constitutional amendment, a, Senate, a constitution and SCA, uh, which I'll reintroduce. We didn't get to it last year because there were a bunch of other things on the ballot that were thought to be uh, you know would take more of the oxygen out including the gambling initiatives um but but I, I my amendment is is deliberately narrow uh, you know and, and it's sort of geared toward what, what i think is attainable uh with, with notwithstanding i think some some very good input about other things we might do uh, but if you get too ambitious i think it gets challenging uh, as i've mentioned to get the voters approval um
2: i would i would there are two things that come to my mind one we've already discussed. Oh. And the other one gets kind of dicey but the first one would be uh to get rid of that second vote for the reasons that we've already discussed i mean to me that's just a no-brainer the way it works right now you, you all know this that that uh the person who re- takes the place of the, of the governor could actually get far fewer votes than the governor would have to stay in power uh and it, that, that's just cockamamie and, and 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 it also sets up this huge remember in the davis campaign there were like 135 people cast of characters, too. Uh, uh, And somebody could have won that race with 15, 18 percent, were it not for (coughs) Schwarzenegger. The other thing I would do, and this is the dicey one, I I confess to that, um, is that I would come up with a list of things as reasons for the recall. And I know I'm stepping on toes here, that's okay. Um, uh, You know, breaking the law uh, obviously would be First and foremost. Now, after that, it gets dicey. Uh, you know, what, what kind of ethical lapse? I don't know, but I would definitely want to have read just just because I don't like a person. To me, is not a good enough reason. It just isn't. Uh, you live with that until the next election. But I, I believe, to Josh Spivak's point, in the Spivak uh, in the uh, in the trustee model not what we call the delicate model. That's the other one that, The the scientists is doing. But so, so I, I mean, I, I would I'd want to have a set of reasons so that uh, in my mind, back to Yolanda's question about abuse, those would be the abuses, you know, breaking the law and perhaps something of
4: that ilk. And, and, and Larry, I, you know, I sit on the, the Senate committee on, on elections and constitutional limits, and we, we had a series of hearings to talk about exactly these things. Uh, and it became clear as we worked through that particular item it was going to be impossible to articulate a standard that was was agreed upon and 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 so even though i think intuitively we can all agree on that uh, it, it's it's a very hard thing to legislate
1: can i go yep um recapping what i what i mentioned before uh I I would look at it from the perspective of it'll be difficult to get the voters to agree on a constitutional amendment. Uh, I think they're very likely to be uh, justifiably somewhat skeptical at uh, self-dealing. So I would just assume that no constitutional amendment is possible, and I would focus on statutory solutions, uh, particularly things like, as Jamara said, um, contribution limits, uh, reporting. And, and my, my number one thing that I, the first thing I would do is I would clarify the procedure for qualifying to be a replacement candidate. Uh, it's, it's been a problem twice for two separate secretary of states uh, in the Gray Davis and in the Newsom recall. Um, th- the fact that they have discretion, I think is a problem. It's, it's a gap in the law that, that is you know, comparatively easy to fix in that it only takes a statutory change. And I, I think that would be very meritorious, low hanging fruit without the risk of self-dealing.
0: And so let let me just clarify, David. So one route is to get the Constitution changed, and that requires a statewide vote. The other is a legislative change. Why, and I think um, Josh Newman referred to this earlier, why is that so difficult? Is there just no appetite in Sacramento to make some of these changes that people are suggesting or that have been suggested suggested in Sacramento?
4: So I I guess I'll answer. I, I think if you're an elected member... Um, whether you realize it or not, part of your sort of consideration is like, could that happen to me? Uh, and if if your gut is no, it's it's, it's not the highest order priority. Uh, and all legislation takes a lot of work. And so, so to clarify, not you, you know the what what it takes to get a, a amendment to the ballot, it, it first requires two-thirds votes on both sides uh, of the legislature. Not an easy thing, even mm-hmm. with suit majorities on both sides. Um, so it, it's really about kind of the work factor, the, the amount of political will. And to David's point, one of the reasons why I think we don't make that ostensibly simple change uh, is because it's about that. It's about the bottom half of the recall uh, that, that no everybody, to Larry's point, thinks of as, you know, messed up. Uh, and so, you know, you're, you're making a messed up thing just a little bit better when I think most of us in the legislature agree that that's a problem. And, it, and, and I think it's also important to note that polling actually shows uh, there is support. Certainly there was support coming out of the Newsom election for the elimination of that second question. You know, multiple polls have demonstrated that. So the question is, is it worth our while collectively to move it through the legislature to the ballot? Uh, this is not the kind of thing where moneyed interests are going to, to uh, put money in on the yes side. right? So, so that's important to consider also You know, when it's part of a larger kind of electoral cycle.
1: I, I get that. I, I would suggest that, you know, if there's a standout feature of California recalls, it was the clown car of potential replacement candidates that you saw in Gray Davis and Gavin mm-hmm. Newsom. I mean, if California's recalls are known for one thing, it's known for that. And eliminating that is something the legislature can do with a simple majority vote. It doesn't require two thirds because it only it only requires changing a statute. You know, so so again, you know, I'm making a comparative. Uh, point here that it it's easier to do in that it's a lower majority and it's something the legislature can do on its own without going to the voters. And, so, and I, so I get I, the, we can the,
4: do a very easy experiment here. Like I'll, I'll carry yeah. that legislation. I so, do. Like I yeah. actually think I I might uh, and it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But let let's connect afterwards. I think I, I would
1: love to. Yeah, you know, and I, I would love to be in the position of, of actually supporting something because so I, I get that there's two scenarios here. One one is just eliminate the second question and then that moots the issue that I'm raising. But that requires two thirds and going to the ballot, and you know, so I, I I just see that as a lower percentage phone call than something the legislature can do by itself with a simple majority, and and you can spin it as we're fixing the recall. And you'll never see another clown car election in California again.
5: So, um, so eliminating, oh, sorry, uh, go ahead. Oh, so eliminating the second question may not really solve the problem that you want to solve. Um, so what I would suggest is instead a snap election. Uh, that is, which happens in other places. So when you have that first question, you're still requiring that elected official get 50%, which you're not requiring them generally. I mean, now with the instant runoff, you sort of are, but you're generally not required to get 50% of the vote in an election. You're just the first past the post. That's who wins. That's who gets the office. A snap. So and that that's what feels very odd about recalls that you have that, and then you have a second question where that candidate doesn't need 50%, and that's exactly what happened in uh, Senator Newman's election, that the second candidate did not get 50%, yet they still won the office. So a snap election is much more like what we have in a regular election. There's a a second type of reform that that could be done that Idaho has that I call the queen of the hill, where to to be removed, you not only need to knock out that person, have the, the yes beat the no, but the total vote has to top the vote that that person won when they uh, when they won office for the first time. So it doesn't feel like it's this just small amount of voters voting. It, it has to beat that vote. So that's kind of a good way to deal with things. The other thing uh, is just the signatures. You switch the signature requirement from what we currently have, which is voter turnout. So you need 12% of voter turnout for the governor, and this is not for everyone in, in LA. This doesn't count because uh, they already have this. You turn it to 12% of voter registered voters, which would instantly greatly increase the signature requirement and make it much harder. And at the same time, not make it based on the, the what happened in the last election. Maybe the last election had low turnout, so it's more of a straight line.
4: So again, again, that, that's something, Josh, that we considered in committee, and and it was again the, the consensus was that that may uh, be received by voters as kind of a bait and switch, right? It sounds like you're up to something, right? And uh, and so not a bad idea. I I will say of the snap election, I I I think most of your ideas good. I think that's a terrible idea, um, and and what that is likely to do is is that runs counter to the larger goal. Let's have fewer unnecessary recall elections. If, if you do it as a snap election, you, you, you could very likely see that's essentially a vote of no confidence. Uh, and you can see that happening all the time.
5: Well, why wouldn't it? It's actually easier to do it this way than a snap election, because the snap election, you have it and the candidate doesn't have to get 50%. So if it's running against somebody else, and frequently we'll have like a rerun of the last election that happens quite often, uh, that new candidate the, the the person who wants to take the office needs to just win that race, have the person, the, the regular candidate get under 50%. The, right, the elected yeah,
4: official. I mean, to, to, to Larry's point earlier, like, you know, we have elections across, you know, a certain timeline, you know, why have them all the time, right? You know, why, just because somebody can get the signatures doesn't mean you should.
5: Um, right, but it's not, it's, basically the same action is happening. There's a new election. The question is, what is the requirement for that elected official to stay in office? Do they need 50% or could they get less? And that's exactly what would happen in a snap election. Plus that elected official will have somebody to contrast themselves to, which is what a real election is. So we saw this with Gavin Newsom. When Gavin Newsom was running in the recall against himself, it was kind of a tough race. There was Gavin Newsom versus Gavin Newsom. Suddenly, Larry Elder gets involved, and he has somebody who will be the replacement. I'm being removed, but I'm going to be replaced by Larry Elder. But, but a different argument
4: is if he didn't do anything wrong, why should he have to do that in the first place? And I think I think Larry made that point very well, uh, which is get elected you know, in, in the year 20, 2018. You haven't done anything wrong. Well, why should you have to run a special election against Larry Elder or anybody if you haven't done anything wrong? Um, and why why would that not increase the incentive if you could, if if the opposition could do that uh to continually be, be
5: looking to generate a, a snap election but why would it be different than the regular recall you see I'm not sure how it's different than the recall as it currently exists or a recall with just an automatic I, I,
4: I think it's about the incentive structures around the recall and and, and what makes it more or less likely that, that it's going to happen uh and and again the original intent you know of, of the frame was was to there was some sort of threshold uh, standard for suitability, you know, fitness for office. Um, if it's simply about politics, you know, that runs counter to, uh, I think, our expectation from election to election. And I see... But that's the, how the it works now.
5: Out. It's actually the same. It's just the same race. It's the same type of thing. It's really just what standard that elected official needs. And does that elected official have a right to have an ability... I, I, I guess what I would
4: say, sh- which we sh- we not only should it not be the same, we should revert to something that is more sensible uh, and more stable uh, in, in lieu of the current incentives to to instigate you know special elections of any kind.
0: So I'm going to go to Jamar now. What, if you could fix all of this with the snap of the finger, what would you do?
3: Contribution limits in line with the jurisdiction. So city and county of San Francisco, you can give $500 to a candidate. Same here. I'm all for making lobbyists and campaign consultants and everyone else play by the rules.
0: Okay. And Josh, did you kind of get your point in there a moment ago, or do you I hope have so. a different I answer hope. for what you would do to fix this? Yeah, no, I, you know, just
5: that, that snap election, just uh, kind of treat it like what it is. It's a, it's a political event. And that's what we're, you know, that's what we see here. Or at the very least, do something to make it much as that Queen of the Hill process, so that the elected official doesn't just have to get has a higher standard, a higher threshold to survive than they do in a regular election.
0: Okay. Um, There's another question from the audience. In San Francisco, how are contribution limits changed? How are contribution limits changed? Does that also require an amendment to the charter? Does anybody know?
4: I think it does. I I think it does, but you can do that you know, you know, local vote to amend the Yeah, party.
1: local initiative. Yeah. yeah, there was another question about uh, changing recall procedures in San Francisco. And the answer is the same. Since San Francisco is a charter city, its voters can put whatever they want on the ballot as a charter amendment, and they can go from zero recalls to ride them out of town on a rail, anything in between.
2: And I think it's a, a simple majority. Yeah. Uh, so that, I mean, that's something we haven't discussed, but uh, simple majorities, that's, pretty low bar. So
0: yeah. Okay. And then another question, does the current election recall protocol have any effect on candidates considering running for political office? So does it keep good people from running? I think is how I read this because of this notion that you might be facing a recall shortly after you get elected.
1: I'm sure
3: we'd all be speculating about that. Um, I I can say yeah, (laughs) Um, just because it's my day job. Um, Absolutely. I think you get people, it tends to people who are maybe more hesitant to say, Um, I I don't want to get into the complete dogfight that is politics all the time if I might make that one person angry or if I need to make a really tough call like during COVID. Um, So I do think it scares off some more reasonable people um, and attracts maybe people who are by nature more combative, who just love a fight. And I I don't know that that's the self-selected group we want in politics. It's already a lot of what we have.
2: There are a lot of reasons not to run for office. All a lot. I mean, that's why I always admire those who do. Uh, so, <clears throat> does this really change the paradigm that much? I don't think so. It's just one of many reasons why someone has to think twice and realize what the odds are—not only of winning, but you know, sustaining and 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 you know, keep keeping the coalition to put you together. So, I mean, I don't know if this changes much of that, but it's certainly a reason. I guess you might add to all the others. I, I, I think
3: that also in the context of just where we are, right? I think anytime someone says, if I give you $10 million, can you overturn that outcome? Um, and the answer for recalls is more likely than not. I can make a good shot at it. Um, and I think that's a troubling question that we have out there. So it's maybe not so much on the candidate side, but more for other actors um, in the civic space.
5: Okay. I'd suspect not. Uh, you know, I'd suspect it's, uh, as Larry said, just a lot of reasons to run a lot of reasons not to run and you know it's been around for a long time it was used plenty in the early days you know much as with anything else there's there's a lot going on in our process that would make you not want to be in office so recalls are kind of lower on that list compared to whatever other floggings you're going to get just yeah i
4: I can say josh as a member of a you know elected community that you're right Right. That is but one of many, many reasons why people, I think it's probably not at the top of anybody's list uh, as to why you might or might not run for office. But, it, you know, it's part of this larger environment that makes it less likely for, you know, to, to somebody's point that good people will stand for public office.
2: If you think about it, uh, my sense is when a person runs for an office, that person's got a healthy ego. And I mean that in the best sense. I think I can do some good. I think I can make things better. That you know, and if, if and if you have that kind of mentality, I don't really think that into your head is going to creep this idea. But they might recall me. It, it, it's I, right?
4: I can vouch for that as a guy who was recalled because the guy who was like <laughs> me of all people. Oh my goodness, that could
0: never happen to me. You're
4: absolutely right. Okay,
0: so our final question. Um, Given the current pattern of how recall elections are being used and at what rate here in California, do you think that we're on a trend to see more or fewer elections in California and why?
2: David made a point early on, and I wanted to jump at it because I thought it was so intriguing, but I, we went on. And you talked about the recalls, a hundred and whatever number, I forgot, but 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 a large number of them in the last few years, correct?
1: Yeah, I'm going to share my screen and I can show you what I mean. So Josh Spivak and I reviewed all California recalls from inception and, you know, we parsed it based on uh, qualified uh, success at the ballot. And uh, the graph I'm showing you right now um, shows it parsed by office. And it doesn't matter how you look at it, whether you look at it parsed by office or you look at qualifying versus successful or you look at the overall um the the overall it's hard to get away from the takeaway that recalls are periodic. They're more popular in some time periods than in others. And and the other conclusion is that right now is not the most popular time for recalls all time. So
2: but it's but it's it's uh one of one of those right? Yeah, it's on, yeah, it's on the higher end.
1: Yeah. But, but right. so like the response to that I that I would give to Yolanda's question is that. The data doesn't show that there's a linear upward or downward progression. It's, you know, there's spikes, there's peaks and valleys. And so it the, depends it, on
2: the times. Yeah, it, it depends, depends on the times, times. You know, So people and, get pissed and,
1: off and they want to do a lot of recalls and then they kind of forget about it
2: for a while. People well, well, forget about it for decades. That, my point is, this is an, we're in an era where people distrust government more than other eras. I'm, I'm You know, I've been through enough of them. Uh, and this is one of those moments in history, the last 10, 12 years, where, where skepticism you know, and, uh, and conspiracy theories and all these other things are abundant. And, and I think that's when you're going to see these kinds of numbers go up. Because people are already angry or, to use a word that's been discussed a lot, pissed off about so many things in this particular period. And, and you know, hopefully there'll be another period that we've had in the past where things will calm down. And when they calm down, people won't be so anxious to think about recalls, among other changes as well. I certainly hope you're right about that.
4: And, and David, the, the, the data showed was on qualified recalls, right?
2: Uh, it
1: was on filed versus qualified. So we, we 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 compared both, and obviously, you know, filed versus qualified. Filed, there's going to be a lot more. Yeah. You know, and
4: I, as, I, all- as, as I as I mentioned before, I, I you know, the, to the extent that the impulse is there, like, you know, the, the 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 mood is there to, to the professor's point. It, it's 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 the ones that don't qualify, right? It's that, that larger number, I think that have the most negative impact, especially at the local level, especially on local political discourse. And you know imagine you, you know you're some naive kind of idealistic person who gets elected to a school board. And you find in, in, you know, after the waiting period, of say 90 days, you make a vote, there's an issue that comes to the board, it's controversial, and now you're the subject of a recall. That is, That's a nightmare for anybody uh, who, who thought that, you know, I can be a productive participant in my local governance. Uh, and I, I think that's a problem.
1: And to be fair, the recall is used more at the local level, both in terms of petitions filed and they're more successful at the local level.
5: Like 99% of recalls have been on the local level in American history. They are a local-level development, but they are very policy-based. They're not partisan. They're they're almost always about issues like the school board, should we combine schools? You fired a superintendent. Taxes, road repair, things like that, development. These are very popular issues. Right now, solar and wind farms are popular in Michigan and the Midwest. Uh, People who are opposed to those are facing recalls. So, So they're very policy-based. Now, one area that we saw a lot of recall attempts uh, last year and the year before, though they did not succeed at all, was COVID restrictions, COVID policies. And you could say in many ways, oh, that's very bad. But in another fashion, well, it was the biggest change in a policy in our lifetime, maybe, you know, almost in possibly in American history for most vote, most voters, so that a lot of people were opposed to it. Okay, they got a chance to get their say out there, and they found out they were wrong. And it maybe gave those those elected officials some uh, benefit that hey, okay, I survived this. They tried it and they failed, and look what happened.
4: But, but Josh, uh, you could also argue that that was also a proxy, you know, for for the kind of politics as well. It wasn't just about the policy. It was, you know, no, but it was. Vote.
5: It was not. It was in Idaho. That's where most a lot of them had, they were in places where it wasn't a Democrat versus a Republican. It was a uh, Republican I, I appreciate that. In it
4: California, it was largely driven, you know, where the where the politics actually correlate to the you know the policy position.
5: Right. In California, they never they didn't make the ballot except Shasta, arguably, and uh Newsom. Uh, but yeah, you know, but nationwide this was an issue. Uh one thing that you should consider is just the recall blows up in your face. Mm-hmm. These elected officials, Senator Newman is unusual, as I think he's the only elected official in, uh, the only state legislator who's recalled and then re ran and won that position, but it is happens all the time on the local level and it happens where the elected official does better. Um, the first governor, Lynn Frazier of North Dakota in 1921, gets elected senator a year later. Uh, diane feinstein faces a recall she's suddenly on the short list for for vice president she's a major figure Uh, one of the reasons we've seen so many recalls recently in california and by recently i mean from 94 to now is that the state has had a huge shift that the state is not a republican state as it once was purple to red now it is blue and getting much much bluer And so this is a a pushback. We saw in Colorado in 2018, the Republicans decided to make their focus the recall. They said this, we're going to teach the Democrats to spell recall. And the Democrats taught the Republicans how to spell blowout. And Joe Biden became the first Democrat to win Colorado by double digits since LBJ. So it does not work in your favor a lot of the times. Voters are not, you know, are not fools. They generally have some idea, and they will punish you if you misuse it.
3: Take a cynical view of the business of politics, just to live in very much the real world right now. Um, consultants are like life insurance salesmen, right? You should you should do this new thing. This is gonna get you what you want. Um, and and recalls in the current context. Um, even though they've been around historically, they're also the fun new toy that political consultants and campaign managers have. Um, So that's where the industry of politics has shifted. And you can say there's an industry of election overturning and recalls is how we do it in California, Georgia, other places they do it differently and sometimes they storm the Capitol, Um, but there's a lot of money to be made. So it is the fun new toy that um, now everyone is out there pitching. Um, So there is very much a market from that. So taking a, a, free market so to speak because we don't really regulate it. So right now um it's a cash grab and a lot of folks are going for it. So let, let me just
4: let me just validate that. So somebody was recalled that like, an immense amount of money was spent across my recall. And I've never seen consultants have so much fun.
3: Yeah
4: expense.
0: So um again yes or no question from each of you. Do you think this trend is going to continue? You might all have your different your own reason for your answer, but do you think this is this trend is going to continue or is it going to stop soon and we're going to have a lull and then it'll spike again at some point? What do
1: you think? No, I, I don't think it'll continue. I, I think the consultants will get bored with it. I think people will look at results like like Gavin Newsom's where he absolutely crushed it and raised a colossal amount of money uh, and basically isn't even bothering to campaign for reelection because he crushed his recall and has so much money. He's unstoppable. I think people will look at that and say, yeah, not really worth it. it it's just going to benefit my enemy.
0: Hey, well,
3: they get paid either way, no matter what, win or lose doesn't matter. They still get paid. And I don't think they ever get bored
4: of money. So yes. <laughs> so I, I know you said yes or no, but nobody answered yes or no. Answer, you guys know. So I I'll answer my way. So I I think if we can make some sensible reforms, you decrease the likelihood over a long span that it won't happen. I think it's also true that if we don't do that, you know, the collective mind as a short has a has a memory of swords. And we'll see in 12, 13 years, we'll have another recall at the same, you know, of the same magnitude. And everybody will be saying exactly what they said this time. Like, oh, my God, we should have solved this problem last time.
2: Given the skepticism about public officials, government, uh, the political process that exists at such a high level right now, uh, the willingness of people to just uh, break any rule, any law, to to be satisfied. I think this will continue. I think it will, because it is a way uh, of venting. And uh, I don't think logic, a lot of logic goes into that. Uh, it, it's fulfilling a need to make things right that are so wrong. So I think as long as we're in this period, uh, it will continue, uh, absent any kind of changes. And I think changes are hard to make in this period too. But That's my-
0: hey, Tamara? I, 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 I
3: already went, you? yes.
5: You already said yes? Okay, yes. So yes and no. Um, For one, it seems to have started slipping from 2012, 2011 and 12, recalls were higher. Now it seems like there's less recalls nationwide. Uh, In 2019, there were none in California. That was the first time I've seen that. Uh, So I don't know that it's really on that rise except for what happened due to COVID, a lot of of anger. Um, But on the other hand, I think it will go up Not so much because it's uh, campaign uh, managers, just the ease of it because of technological changes. I think that's been a major role in the recall. It's easier to get things on the ballot. It's easier to organize people. It's easier to get people upset, just social media, cell phones, spreadsheets. Um, All of that has made it a simpler process that's not going to be affected by small or even large changes to to the law, except on Malfeasance and Standard or something. Uh, just these are, they're here to stay because people now
0: have an option
5: to use that power.
0: Okay, so we have three minutes. Any final thoughts any of you want to share? I don't have any more questions. Anything you want to share before we end? I, I will
1: volunteer the California Constitution Center's resources to help Senator Newman draft a statutory change along the lines that we've discussed. I, I, I also agree with with the point that it's strike while the iron is hot and and i'm concerned that there's a paralysis of choice. uh there's a number of recall reform measures that were that have been floating around the, the legislature for the last year or so and because there's more than one or two of them I, i'm worried that none of them are going to gather consensus or a majority. so so if, if the senator is willing to plant his flag on on one thing and you know if you build it they will come I, I i would be happy to be part of that.
4: i so david i would gladly take you up on that offer what's the worst that could
1: happen? I could get recall. I will defend you in public. Okay,
0: appreciate it. Any other parting thoughts from any of the panelists? Well, thank you all very much on behalf of the Bar Association of San Francisco. You've been amazing. So many different perspectives and um, just viewpoints on this and your very deep backgrounds in this area for different reasons. Um, And it really did just make for a very rich conversation. I think we've educated a lot of people on just how this works. Um, A lot of us don't understand it. We just kind of see it pop up on a a ballot, and um, we we truly appreciate you all, and thank you very much.
4: Thank you.
0: Thank you you to all of our guests who um, listened to this conversation this evening. Have a good evening.